You guys excited for the Hell series? I don't know how many woke up this morning like Christmas saying, man, today is the Hell series. I'm ready for the next five weeks. Show me your hands. You're excited. How many of you are committed for the next five weeks to be here every Sunday? If not, this entire message will not make sense to you. This is one big message. As we get into the Hell series, the theme this year is called the Devil's Workshop. And the reason this is the theme, before we get into the verse, is that I remember as a kid, me and my brothers, we used to love to go out into the backyard. But see, my childhood was a little different because my dad was a carpenter and he had a workshop. And in this workshop, there was all types of dangerous tools. And as a young boy, what better childhood can you ask for than to play with a bunch of dangerous tools? And it so happened that a few weeks ago, as I'm thinking about the Hell series, I went back there to get something, and wouldn't you know, the tools I remember playing with and growing up with were still there. And that really spoke to me, because I wonder, as I started thinking about the devil, the tools that he used to destroy many people in the Bible are in fact the same tools he uses today to destroy the lives of so many believers today in the church. So the next five weeks, we're getting into this series, The Devil's Workshop, and we're going to highlight the five greatest tools of the devil. And we're going to be dealing with subjects such as sin and hell, demonic oppression, Haunted houses, ghosts, demons, what's the difference? What's going to happen? Some of you say, Pastor, I saw my grandmother. She's been dead for 10 years, but I promise you I saw her. I'm going to explain how that's possible. You guys excited? It's going to be a great one. We're going to go to James chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. And this is a scripture I really want you guys to meditate on. It says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. And afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. Then desire gives birth to sinful action. And when that sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. I want to preach to you this morning on the subject of the high cost of low living. Let's pray. Father, bless this month. As we get into this word, Lord, use me today to speak this word of truth. As we deal with the topic, Lord, of the high cost for low living. Father, there are many here today who are at a very low point in their lives. Father, bless us with your presence this morning. Give us wisdom to understand and help me teach in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. You guys can have a seat as we go into the subject of the devil's workshop. The high cost of low living. Sin brings, the Bible shows us here in this verse that sin will bring death. But sin doesn't just bring physical death. Sin does not just bring spiritual death. But sin will bring death and sin will bring destruction to countless families. Sin will, will cost your marriage. It can cost you your career. Sin can destroy your reputation. Sin can even destroy churches. And if you look at the life of so many broken people, if you look at the life of so many hurting people, you know that sin was not far. You know that sin was very present. And many people are suffering maybe because of their own selfish choices and their own sin. Or maybe other people are hurting and destroyed because of the sin someone else did. But the point is, all sin, the Bible says, will lead to death. And when I started reading this scripture, it came to my mind that no one naturally wakes up one day and says, you know, today I think I'm going to destroy my life. No one says, you know, I really want to bring pain to my family. I really want to ruin my life. I, I really want to get as far from God as possible. No one in their right mind ever planned to be an alcoholic. No one in their right mind ever planned to be a drug addict or a porn addict. No one in their right mind thought, you know what, I really want death. I really want to destroy my life. You see, but the Bible is clear that sin brings death, but the Bible says that it gives birth. Sin gives birth to death. And the reason that God references sin like birth is because how many of you know babies don't just happen? Whether planned or unplanned, Babies happen because of a process. And sin doesn't just happen, whether planned or unplanned. Sin is also a destructive process. There is a process that sin has to have in order for it to bring death and destruction to your life. You see, the Bible references sin like birth because it is a process. And it reminded me like a tapeworm. Sin is like a tapeworm. A tapeworm, it, it's, it enters microscopic, small, tiny, insignificant. But see, at first, you don't even feel it, but it's there. But as it begins to feed off your body, and as it begins to grow, it doesn't stop growing. And it keeps feeding and feeding 
and feeding. And that once microscopic tapeworm begins to grow, and even though in the beginning you did not feel it, there comes a point that it grows so much you begin to feel it. It begins to cause pain. And if you do nothing about it, it only continues to grow. And there will come a point that what was inside comes out. And it will destroy you. It will kill you. And that tapeworm, it doesn't care whether you're black or white. It doesn't care whether you're saved or not. It doesn't care whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't care of the color of your skin, the socioeconomic background you're in. That tapeworm just wants to feed. And the Bible is clear. Sin just wants to feed. It wants to grow. And a lot of us feed it. And it begins to grow in our lives. But when you first begin to sin, you don't feel it. But as it begins to grow in your life, the pain comes. And so does the destruction. See, going back to verse 15, I want to highlight this, the process. Because sin will not only bring physical and spiritual and emotional death, the Bible says that these give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, everyone say grow. It gives birth to death. In order for sin to begin to destroy, it needs to grow. Sin grows. And sin only grows when you feed it. And sin can be destroyed when you starve it. But see, we have this flesh that wants to feed on sin. And if we're not careful, it can control your life. Look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 7 through 8. This is the first mention of the word sin in the Bible. And it was to a young man named Cain. And I want you to bear in mind, this is the first mention of the word sin. The Bible says, you will be accepted if you do what's right. But if you refuse to do what is wrong, notice, if you do what is right, you'll be accepted. But if you refuse to do what is right, then God said to him, watch out. God is not playing lightly with this. He's not speaking softly in an intense moment of warning. God tells Cain, watch out. What if God is looking at you right now and he's looking at your life? He's looking at your children, your marriage, your family, your future, your destiny, your ministry, your job, your career, everything. And he's saying, watch out. Protect it. Guard it. And notice that God says, watch out. Because sin is crouching at your door. 
And God says, not only is it crouching at your door, it is eager to control you. It is eager to control you. But you must subdue it. You must subdue it and be its master. I want to stop right there. God's first mention of sin, he tells Cain, watch out. You better watch out. You better watch out because this sin, it wants to control you. Let me ask you a question, church. Is there a sin right now in your life controlling you today? Because you can be controlled by sin even in the church. You can laugh and smile and be controlled by sin. You can go to work every day and be controlled by sin. You can come home to your family and be controlled by sin. You can be controlled in the church. You can be controlled when you're alone. You can be controlled by sin when you're driving because sin wants to control you. My honest question as your pastor today is that can you identify at least one sin in your life that has control over you? that you have not mastered. Because we live in a culture in the world today where sin is mastering. And that uncontrollable sin in your life, it could be sexual sin. Sexual sin is sex outside of marriage. This is fornication, this is adultery, this is pornography, this is homosexuality, this is perversion. And it's just controlling your mind. You have a wandering eye, a flesh. This could be bitterness, unforgiveness, hatred, controlling you. This could be envy, Controlling you, always looking at other people's lives, always looking at why God did it for them and not you, always looking at why everyone else is easier, why everyone else is thinner, why everyone else is prettier, why everyone else is godlier, why them and not me, and it controls you, this envy, maybe it's lying right now, you have to lie to cover your sin, you have to lie to gain more money, you have to lie and deceive and hide and trick, because sin controls you. You see, before sin can control you, I'm sorry, before sin can destroy you, it has to first control you. Sin is at your door. In other words, God doesn't say, sin is just going to show up and destroy you. No, before sin can destroy your life, it first has to control you. And you're asking yourself, well, Pastor, how does sin gain control over my life? How does sin control me? Going back to the birth process, verse 15 again. It says, sin gives birth to sinful action. And when sin is, say it with me, when sin is what? Allowed. That is it. 
The only reason that sin brings destruction is because it first controls you. And the only reason that sin first controls you is simply put, you and only you allowed it. It wasn't God tempting you because God doesn't tempt. You can't blame it on your childhood. You can't blame it on stress. You can't blame it on other people. You can't excuse it. You can't justify it. If sin is controlling you today and sin is destroying the blessings of God in your life, here's a clue. You allowed it. And why does God say you allowed it? It's because sin is always a choice. It's a choice. It's no wonder when God talked to Cain, he said, sin is at your door. Why did God reference this door in the Bible? Simple. Because how many of you would agree that you can't control who shows up at your doorstep. You can't show up. You can't control who shows up at your door. But you do have a say whether you let them in or not. And there will never be a place where you can avoid sin. You know, we live in a sinful, fallen world. Sin will show up at your door. And that door is common in everyone's lives. That door can be your life. Sin can just show up and knock in your life. That door can be your family. And sin shows up and knocks and says, can I come into your family? Sin knocks at the door of your children. And it's knocking at the door of teenagers today. It can knock while you're at work. It can knock when you're in church. It can knock at any moment because sin is at the door. But see, it is your choice whether you let it in or not. Whether you allow it or not. This is why God told Cain, if you do what's right, you'll be accepted. But if you refuse, see, God says, watch out, sin is at the door. But Cain, the choice is yours. Maybe this morning sin is controlling your life. The good news is, is that God not only warned Cain, but he gave him hope. And he said, you must subdue and master it. See, God says, this sin that's at your door doesn't have to control you. It doesn't have to come in. It doesn't have to have dominance over your life and your thinking. You can master this sin. You might be saying, well, yeah, I've tried, Pastor. It, you know, I, have, I have tried with my willpower, but willpower would not master sin. How many of us say, God, this is the last time I promise. And the next day you're praying to the same God, God, forgive me, I messed up again. Show me your hands. 
It's not willpower. It's not even prayer sometimes. How many of you say, Lord, please help me. Please help me. Please help me. And sin still came in. Show me your hands. It's not even through your pastor. How many times have I sat down with you and told you and preached to you, this is wrong. This is a sin. Be careful. And how many times have you gotten right back home, got back to your life and did it anyway? Show me your hands. Don't be shy. Come on, show me your hands. All right. I'm not offended. The Bible says you have to give an account for yourself. I'm free from you. See, in order to master the sin that is mastering you, you have to see how the devil works. In order to master that sin that is controlling your life, you have to know where exactly is the door opened? Because the Bible says, do not give the devil a foothold. And that term foothold is when you put your foot right in between the door. See, what the devil wants is for you to put your little foot at the door so he has an easy opportunity to get in. And the devil is an opportunist. And he waits for the right opportunity to get you. And when I started thinking about all the tools the devil uses, the opening verse of James 1, verse 13 and 14, really shows us what it is. And he says, and remember... When you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and He has never tempted anyone. But notice verse 14. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. In those two verses, the word temptation and temptation and tempting and tempt and temptation keep being mentioned. Why? Because the devil's number one tool for sinful destruction, it all starts with temptation. Let's break it down. Sin brings death, right? All right. But before sin can bring death, it has to control you. But before it can control you, you have to allow it. And who in their right mind allows sin into their life? Only those, what the Bible says, endure temptation so you'll be blessed. How does sin dominate your life? You can't endure temptation. Here's a big mistake we see in the church. The number one problem in the world is sin. How many of you have ever heard that before? It's not. Pastor, you can't say that. I'm saying it. Sin is not the greatest problem in the world. It's people's lack of enduring temptation. If, if you had a control on your temptation, could sin destroy you today? So sin is not the problem. It's your lack of endurance. It's like getting all upset because you stuffed your face with the cookies. Do you have a right to, you know, Pastor, what the problem is? It's the cookies. No. It's your lack 
of endurance. The devil's number one tool is temptation. Why do we say this? Because it's the tool he first used in the Bible. When he tempted Adam and Eve, temptation was the first tool actually used for the first humans on earth. Let's go further. Temptation was then the first tool used for the first marriage. Temptation then was the first tool used for the first family. The first teenagers. Temptation was the tool that was first used between people's relationship with God and man. And do you think when it comes to humans today, when it comes to the marriage today, when it comes to the family and the teenagers and the children and people's relationship with God, the devil's strategy has changed? The devil knew if it worked then, it'll still work now. And this is how the devil sharpens this tool. Genesis chapter 3, verse 4 through 6. As God warns Eve and Adam of the forbidden tree, the forbidden fruit, Satan just slithers his way in. And as he slithers in as a snake, the first lie he says, you won't die. You, you won't die. I know, I know God said, because Eve stood there and said, God said you'll die. And the devil says, no, you won't. He's lying to you. No, you won't. And the devil loves to tell you, you won't get caught. You, you won't get hurt by this. You won't be affected by this. This isn't going to harm you. In fact, the devil said here, you won't die, he replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And notice this. The woman was convinced. You know, all the devil has to do is convince you of what is wrong to be right. All he has to do is convince because Eve and Adam stood their ground. This is wrong. We can't do this. But he said, all I have to do is convince them. And how did the devil convince Adam and Eve, the Bible says when she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruits looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and she ate it, then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. See, the devil will convince you 
to allow sin into your life by making it desirable. By making it beautiful. By distracting the danger and disguising it with pleasure. That's the essence of temptation. Temptation is all perception. And you begin to look at what is wrong, what is immoral, what is ungodly, and you begin to see it for what it's not. Hey, that looks pretty good. That looks tempting. Maybe I could. Maybe it won't hurt you. Maybe you'll get away with it. And you start lusting in the eye. You start lusting in the flesh. The Bible says then you get the pride of life. I can do this. I can get away with it. And the devil loves to convince you. By picturing it for what it's not. And this is what he's doing to so many believers' lives. And he does this through relationships. He does this through habits. He he does this through substances. He tries to paint it for what it's not. It is not dangerous. It is actually pleasurable. It is actually delicious. It is beautiful. And it is without a doubt, not going to harm you. That's the strategy of the devil. In fact, going back to the sin process, and again, in James chapter 1, look at verse 14. Remember, sin gives birth to death. But in order for that sin to give birth to death, it has to control you. But before that sin can control you, you have to allow it. But before you can even even allow it, you see, you're not just going to allow sin into your life. No one says, oh, I'm just going to allow it. I don't care what's going to happen. I'm just going to allow it. No one allows sin into their life without this first happening. Temptation comes. Say it with me. Temptation comes. From our own desire, which entice us and drag us away. Before sin can bring death, it has to control you. Before it can control you, you have to allow it. But before you can allow it, it has to entice you. That's where the devil works. He sharpens the tool of temptation with enticement. When I studied this word in the Bible, enticed, both in the Hebrew and the Greek which it was written, it has the same meaning. That word enticed is actually a fishing and hunting term. And I said, my God, the devil is an outdoorsman. He's an outdoorsman. He loves to hunt when it's hunting season. He fishes when it's fishing season. And I love to hunt. So does my father-in-law, who's way better than me, believe me. But when I hunt, You can't go in there smelling nice. That's why Jerrica can't go with us. You can't go with the perfumes. You can't go with the scent. you got to be dirty so that the deer doesn't even notice you. 
You gotta wear camel so you blend in. Why? Because you have to entice it. You can't let it see the danger. And it's so interesting that as I get my gun, and if you're sensitive, I'm sorry to this, but I gotta preach. But I set my sight. And I'm looking at it. And that deer doesn't know that I'm watching him. And I just needed to wait to get a little closer. And then I pull that trigger. And the deer gets hit, but it doesn't die instantly. It runs until it drains and falls. Church, the devil has his sight on you. He loves to fish. The devil entices you like fishing. Why fishing? Why did God use the word entice as a fishing term? That word entice, it literally means to bait and to lure. So on my day off this week, I went fishing with Danny and a friend of mine. And as we went bass fishing, it's interesting, I'm not much of a bass fisherman, but as I went fishing with them, I noticed that my friend was casting his line at this, this, this bass. And the, and the bass wasn't interested, and, and, and he was throwing it and throwing it and throwing it and wasn't interested. And then Danny comes up to me and he says, hey, you try this one. He says, Danny talks weird and he says, he says, this is the candy. This is the, no, and then he goes, this is the juice. I don't know what that means. But he hands it to me. And I don't know how Danny knew. But the second I hooked this worm. Some of you are going to try to steal this from me today. That's not happening. As soon as I threw this worm, and it didn't, it barely touched the water. That bass was out of control and just ran and swallowed it up. And wouldn't you know, here's a picture of it. I nailed him. Got him. You see, the devil knows the juice. The devil has the candy. He knows. He knows. And don't pretend like, no, I don't, have, I don't like candy. No, you all have, we all have candy. Because he has his sight on you. He knows. But see, before I can just throw it, I had to hide the hook so well he wouldn't notice it. That's why this is called allure. Because it's supposed to entice and lure to the point that then you set the hook. And when I set that hook, like James says, I dragged them away. 
I dragged them away. And then yesterday, I noticed behind our house, there's a, there's a nice lake. And I said, you know what? Jerrica says, okay, I'm going to clean the house. And me being the supportive husband I am, I get out of the house. I just, I just get out of the way. And I said, okay, honey, I'm going to go throw a line out for a minute. Guess what I brought? The juice. The candy. And I saw a 14-inch bass on the edge. Guys, you're like, oh, this is awesome. And I threw it. Nothing. He looked at it, he's like, not fooling me. I ran to Walmart. True story. Went to Walmart, purchased all the lures I can find, tried everything. And then I saw this guy, so different from this guy. But when I threw this guy, he was like, wait a minute. And he grabbed it. And wouldn't you know, look at this guy. I hit him. Look at the second picture. Yeah, Jay, what's up? <laughs> but you know what came to my mind? Totally different bait, same old strategy. The devil's strategy, the same. The bait, the juice, the candy, all different. Some of your candy, money. Just got to throw money at them. They'll get away from God in a heartbeat. You want money so bad because you need security so bad. All the devil has to do is throw in a little overtime, a different job here on Sundays, weekends, just more money. Come on, more money. And you're gone. You're dragged away. For some people, your candy is sex. A little wandering eye, a little pornographic website, a little flirting. The devil is just luring you to drag you away. A little greed. The devil's lure could be loneliness. So lonely, he'll throw a real beautiful lure. A man or a woman you met on another lure called Tinder. Who knows? And there you are. He's not a Christian. You know it. But you know what? Your bait, that bait looks so good. I'm just going to take it. And he drags you away. It could be loneliness, money, greed. The strategy is all the same. Let me hide the danger to convince them because I know what they want. In fact, the truth about sin, when that bass hit that lure, I took him further than he was willing to go and he paid the price more than he was willing to pay. See, sin will always take you further than you want to go. And it will always cost you more than you want to pay. And there are so many people in the church being dragged away. They're suffering, being destroyed because they could not endure the temptation. 
There is no one in the Bible more convincing to me that got dragged away than a man we all know, and his name was Samson. The reason I love Samson is because he started off so strong. In fact, there are three paintings of Samson around all these churches around the world, and I love them, but there's, there's three that stand out to me. The first one is this one. This is Samson at his strongest. He got the bone of a, of a donkey's jaw, and he slayed over a thousand soldiers. This was Samson at his strongest. But when you fast forward the story of Samson, you find him later to be blind and in chains. And you ask yourself, how did he get so far? How did he get so dragged away? How does a man so strong end up so weak? And this is the story of so many people. Some of you, you had a strong relationship with God and now the devil has dragged you away. You had such a strong marriage and now it is weak and the devil is dragging you away. You were strong in your faith and he's dragged you into the hopelessness and depression and discouragement. And there are so many people who started off strong and now have been destroyed. And you have to ask yourself, Samson, how? Samson, why? And here's the last painting that gives us an answer. He had candy. He had some candy. Because there are so many people whose marriages and family and health are just being dragged away. And you say, how did it get so far? Her name was Delilah. But remember, before sin can destroy you, Samson, it has to control you. But Samson, before Delilah can control you, you have to allow it. But before you can even allow it, Samson, you have to let it entice you. Judges 16.1 Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. I want you to go to Judges chapter 6, verse 1. For a minute. I'm not going to read that one yet. Judges 6, verse 1. This is where it all started. It says, one day. Say that with me. One day. That's it. One day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute and he went in to spend the night with her. You want to know where Samson's downfall happened? It all happened where he first compromised. Where he first allowed it. And the frightening thing about this first church, it says, one day. All it takes is one day. One choice, one click, 
one flirtatious conversation, one lunch date, just one, let me just see, let me just try. One choice and one day ruined Samson's lifetime of a great reputation. You can destroy your life in one day. This church can be destroyed in one day. Your marriage, one day. Your children, one day. All it takes is one day. And as we go to Judges 16, verse 4 through 5, the Bible says that Samson, sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek. Now, when you go to Gaza and you go to Sorek, it's a little bit further. So what I love about this is that he started in Gaza, but he got further away and he got deeper and deeper and deeper and he landed in the valley of Sorek. And there he met another woman and her name was Delilah. Sometime later, he fell in love with her. The ruler of the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were Samson's greatest enemy. So the enemy went to her and said... See if you can lure him. See if you can, they didn't say, see if you can control him. See if you can kill him. See if you can, but no. Hey, Delilah, you know, we've been watching and we have our sight on Samson. And all we need you to do, we know what he loves, he loves you. Delilah, you're his candy. See if you can lure him. See how our enemy works? Gets what you love to lure you. See if you can lure him to showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him. So that we can tie him up and subdue, which means control him. There's the process that the devil does. I need to lure him so I can overpower him. So then I can control him. So I want you to notice something. The enemy loved the fact that they knew what Samson loved. The devil knows what you love. And in chapter 16, verse 19 through 21 in Judges, the Bible says, having put him to sleep on her lap. See, how, how did Samson even fall asleep? He got comfortable. And if you get comfortable with your sin, the devil already has you. He put him to sleep on her lap. She called the man to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began, so began to control, subdue him. And his strength left him. She called Samson, the Philistines, the enemy is upon you. He woke up from his sleep and he thought, I'll go out as before. I'm going to shake myself free. But he did not know the Lord had left him. 
Because God does not tolerate sin. And the Philistines seized him, gouged his eyes out, took him down where? To Gaza. Why Gaza? Because that's where it all started. You want to see where someone's life was destroyed? You got to take them back to where it first all started. Where did you first compromise? Where did you first allow it? Where did you first give in? That's where you allowed it. And that's where the enemy brought him back. So imagine Samson in chains. He's blind. He can't see. He has lost everything. But he knows he's in Gaza because God is letting him know, Samson, you love Gaza so much, you can have it. But it's going to cost you. Why? Because there is a high cost to low living. And the Bible says they gouged his eyes out, took him down to Gaza, blinding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grind them, the, the, the mill in prison. And the Bible is clear about something. The enemy stood there. All the Philistines celebrating, laughing at him, the Bible says. And I believe today, the devil, our greatest enemy, he's looking at the church, he's looking at the lives of so many believers, and he's celebrating, and he's laughing, and he's saying, I got them! I won! That's why the devil, like most outdoorsmen, we have mounts in our wall. And you know why we mount our catch? To brag. That's the truth. I mount my deer heads. My father-in-law, he mounts his deer heads. We'll mount our fish. Why? Not for us. So when people come over, we say, hey, check that out. And you know what's crazy about every mount? It has a story. It has a story. And I picture the devil's house. He has all these mounts. And when he invites people over, he says, oh, oh, check this out. You see this guy? Oh, let me tell you. I got him with sex. I got him with adultery. I got him. And all it took was a little flirtatious woman. And he got it, hook, line, and sinker. Hey, hey, you see her? Now look at her. I got her. And I got her with jealousy. I got her with envy. I got her with anger and bitterness. Hey, you see him? You see this young one? You see this teenager? I got him with comparison. Because they were so desperate for acceptance, I just threw a lure to make them more popular, more accepted. You, you see them? I got her with a drink. I got him with a drug. 
I got him with greed. This one, I got this church. I got them with division. I got this one with money. And he's bragging. And he's laughing. And he's celebrating because he's saying, I won. I won. You say, well, pastor, how is it that we even get enticed, going back to the process, before sin can bring death, it has to first control you. Before it can control you, you have to allow it. Before you can allow it, it has to entice you. But the only reason it entices you is because of pride. If you tell any believer in the church a popular Bible verse, what comes before destruction? We all say pride, pride, I know it, pride. You know what I thought, God? Why didn't you say sin comes before destruction? Why didn't you say anger comes before destruction? Why didn't you say lust comes before destruction? Why did you center just pride? leads to all destruction and downfall. Because you know that sin is not the greatest problem. It's pride. When Delilah woke him up, what did Samson say? I don't care. I'm not scared. I'll... I'll shake myself off like I did before. I'll get away with it. This won't hurt me. I'm strong enough. I can handle it. It won't get me. Until it did. Everyone said, no, Samson's downfall was Delilah. It was his lust. No, it was his pride. Because, because of his pride, he said, I can go to Gaza. I can go in Delilah's apartment. I can lay at her lap. Nothing's going to happen until he woke up with a prostitute and he must have thought, what am I doing? But he stayed. Because the devil wants to fill you with pride. Because that pride is what entices you to allow it so it can control you, so it can destroy you. And too many people are being destroyed, not just by sin but because God described it as a birthing process. Some of you, sin is controlling your life because you are arrogant and proud. And you thought to yourself, it won't affect me. It's the motorcycle syndrome. Why do people drive motorcycles? Especially in Miami, why? Because in their mind, you know what that, motor, that guy says or that girl says? It won't happen to me. That's the only reason someone gets on a bike in Miami. You can ask any doctor and any nurse and you can hear all the horror stories. 
But that person on a motorcycle, they say to themselves, not me. Until it happens. And I believe a lot of Christians have that motorcycle mentality. Others people will get destroyed. Other churches, other marriages, other children. Not mine. It's pride. The greatest downfall of any person's life is pride. I'm strong enough. That's what Samson said. I'm strong enough. Just this week, I was talking to a, a pastor friend of mine. And as we're talking about our messages and everything, I'm, I'm talking to him about this. And I said, hey, just let me ask you a question. Do you think that, that if I say sin is not the greatest problem, but pride is, you think that's accurate? He says, that's absolutely accurate. And he goes, David, do you know my story? And I said, no. And he says, I was an alcoholic. And I was like, what? You? He said, oh, yeah, yeah. Before I met Christ, I was an alcoholic. Destroyed my family, my marriage, my kids. I mean, it was bad. And I wish I can tell you, man, I met Jesus and it was gone. No, I got saved. And let me tell you, those urges were still there. And I thought about it. So, man, there you go. Sometimes I was preaching and I was so stressed, I would tell myself, what if I just take one drink? I said, what? He said, Dad, you want to know the day I met the devil? And I said, please, tell me. He says, I was out evangelizing to a friend. And I gave him my testimony about my being an alcoholic because he struggled with his own demons. And as I started talking to him, I told him I was set free from alcoholism. And he looked at me straight in the eyes, and David, I can swear, I can tell you right now, it was like looking at the devil. And he looked at me and he said, how do you know you've been set free if you haven't had a drink? He said, what? He said, yeah, yeah, you can sit here and brag you're set free, but you won't even know you've been set free until you have one drink. And if that drink does nothing for you, then you know you're free. And he said, hey, first one's on me, let's go. Let's go. And I thought to myself, what if he would have said, you know what, I'm going to prove it. I'm strong enough to handle this. I'm going to go to that bar. I'm going to have that one sip. And I'm going to prove that I can, it's not going to affect me. But what if it did? See, that's the pride that brings destruction. The devil wants you to think you're strong enough. You can handle this. Until it destroys you. So as we close, you're saying, Pastor, sin controls me. What's next? What, 
what do I do next? 1 Corinthians 10 through 12 gives us a way out. And I'm going to tell you what I'm not going to say. I'm not going to tell you just pray. That's not right. That's not fair to you. Because I believe many of you prayed. Many of you have tried. But sin controls you. The Bible says first, if you think you are standing strong, be careful. Watch out. You don't fall. First, know your weakness. But also know you're not strong. You've got to tell God, God, I am not strong enough to handle this. It has a hold of my life. God is not going to look at you and say, how can you be weak in that area? In fact, the Lord is honored because even Samson, when he was in chains, he looked up to God and he said, Lord, would you give me strength one more time? Acknowledging to God he was weak. Acknowledge your weakness and stop thinking you're strong. I can do it. I can be near it. I can do it. It won't affect me. It won't hurt me. It won't bring me down. Other people can violate God's word, but I can and it won't affect me. I can do what I want. I can date who I want. I can be with whoever I want to be with. I can put in my body whatever I want to put in my body. And it is not. I am strong enough. I can stop when I want to. That's where the devil's getting you. God says, be careful, you don't think you're strong, that's your fall. Second, he says, the temptation in your life is no different from others' experience. See, what God wants you to know is not only do I not want you to think you're strong enough, but I also need you to know the temptation in your life is not uncommon to man. In other words, you are not alone with your sin. Whatever your candy is, you are not the only one because the devil wants you to think you're the only one going through what you're going through. You're the only one tempted with what you're tempted to. You're the only one. Everyone else has it together. Everyone else is godly. Everyone else is strong. But you, you're the only one with this temptation. And God is here clearly saying, you are not alone. You're not alone. God says, I know. It's like Elijah when he, he was down in his lug and he said, God, I'm done. I'm the only one left. God woke him up and says, I have so much more of you. And God is saying, you're not alone where you're at. God says, the temptation in your life is no different from what others experience. But also know this, God is faithful. God is faithful. Samson said, God, I need strength one more time. And God gave him the strength and he brought the pillars down. And yes, he died with everyone else. But listen, in Hebrews, he's called a hero. 
because Samson's call in his life was to destroy the Philistines, and he did so at a high price. My point is this, wherever you're at in your life, God can still finish what he started in your life. God can still give you the strength. And God said, Samson said to God, give me strength one more time. God, give me a chance. And God is a God of chances. But God says, the temptation in your life is no different than what others experience. You're not alone, but God is faithful. And He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. You know why? Because the devil tells you, you can't stand this. You can't endure this. You can't overcome this. You can't handle this. This is in your life forever. It was in your father and your father's father and your mother's mother. It's in your family. It's in your blood. It's in your DNA. It's in your childhood. Even now, you've tried and failed because this sin will always be in your life. It is impossible. That's where the devil lies. But God said, there is no sin, there is no temptation where you can tell God, I can't handle this. God will never put you in a situation you can't get free from. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Say it with me. I can stand this. And when you are tempted, not if, but when you are tempted, He'll show you a way out. Why did He say that? Whatever your candy is, there is a way out. I don't care how long you've been in it, there's a way out. He will show you a way out so that you can endure. As our opening verse said, the Lord blesses those who endure temptation. And God said, you can endure this temptation. You can stand it. So my dear friends, God still calls you friends. He's saying this to a bunch of Christians that are worshiping idols and pagan worship, the worst of the worst in God's eyes in that Old Testament. He hated idolatry. In the New Testament, nothing's changed. But did you notice God says, my dear friends, because you never stop being a friend to God. He says, flee from your worship of idols. So God says, you're not strong enough to handle this. And you're not alone in where you're at. But I am faithful. And you are still my child. You are still my friend. And I will show you a way out. But you have to be willing to take it. And when you take it, you flee. You have to set yourself some boundaries where you can flee when the devil throws his candy at you. When he throws the juice. When he throws the lure and wants to drag you away. You say, devil, I can stand this. And you can flee. It might mean you, have, you might have to delete some phone numbers. You might have to put your computer in the living room. You might have to end a relationship. 
You might have to change a job. You might have to change gyms. You might have to go to the gym with your wife now. You might need accountability. You might need a flip phone for crying out loud. A jitterbug, I don't know. God says, do what it takes to flee. Don't put yourself in a position where you have to flee. But even if you happen to do, there is a way out. Let's pray, church. The devil's number one tool is temptation. And if you're here today, maybe sin is controlling your life. You're saying, Pastor, sin is controlling my life. I don't know what the lure is, but it has you. And if you're here today and that lure has you, you're not the only one. But today is the day where you can get that way out. You can flee. And the Lord will show you a way out. The Lord will put in your heart what to do to get rid of that temptation in your life. It might be a breakup. It might be a resignation. A change. Something. To get you to flee. But know that if you, put, if you have bit the line, the hook, the lure and all, every fish, when set the hook, They shake their head. They shake it hard. Why? Because they try to shake themselves free. And God wants you to know today you can shake this off. But you can't do it alone. You can't do it by your own strength. You need to run back to God. You need to be in prayer. You need to be in His Word. You need to be around the fellowship of other believers. You need to get into the right relationships. You need to get rid of the wrong relationships. You have to get back into the Word of God, back to worship, back to praise. You need to get back to walking with the Lord so that when that temptation comes that the devil wants to entice you with, so that you would allow it into your life, so that it can control your life, so that it can bring sin into your life, so it can bring destruction into your life. When the devil wants you to give birth to sin and death. You say, no devil, I can stand this. So Father, in Jesus' name, let's all stand to our feet this morning. In Jesus' name, I'm not asking you this morning to go to the altar. Why? Because I believe everyone has some candy. With every head bowed and every eye closed, spend a moment there with the Lord and say, Lord, I have candy. I have juice. There's a lure. Would you tell the Lord what that is? It's freeing to just tell God what He already knows. Say, Lord, this is it. This is where the devil is dragging me away. Spend a minute with the Lord there. Come Heavenly Father, I thank you for this message this morning. I pray for us here today 
But the devil has us hooked. I pray for those in our family, the loved ones that aren't even here right now, that the devil has them hooked. I pray for those who have compromised, who have given in, who've been enticed and allowed and now are being controlled and destruction is all around them. Like Samson, Father, we pray out of your own mercy, out of your own grace and forgiveness that you would forgive us for all of our sins. I pray, Father, for strength one more time and help us to do what needs to be done to see the way out because there is a way out and help us to have the strength to flee from all immorality, all lust, all shame, all ungodliness and keep our lives and our family and ourselves together, Father. And we thank you that we can even pray such a prayer because of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. So, Father, I pray that you would deliver us from evil. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. God bless you guys. I hope you guys were blessed by today's first part series. You guys can have a seat. I pray you guys were blessed by today's first part of our series of the Devil's Workshop in our Hell series. Next week, we're dealing with the subject of demonic haunting, not oppression, demonic haunting. Are ghosts real? Why is it that I hear footsteps at night? Why is it that I see figures? Why is it that other people tell me the dead have come? Why is it that I'm channel surfing and I happen to see those shows that are contacting the dead and ghosts and all of that? I see it in movies. I see it in the franchises and television. It's popular everywhere. Is it real? How does the devil use haunting? How does the devil use this to deceive you? This is part two of his second tool. I'm not going to tell you the tool, but I am going to tell you the context. If you're interested in this, please join us next Sunday.